Thank you, Father, today for your word, for your presence, for your peace, Lord God, and for your uh, encouragement and direction from the word. And Lord God, I ask you right now that you would speak through me, Lord, that I would become less and that you would become more. Oh, Father God, I pray right now that I would humbly be able to deliver this message to the hearts of these people in Jesus' name. And God, I pray right now for my people. Open your hearts and allow the Lord to just transcribe his message into your life in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Are you ready to go? So last week I got to share with you, and I led off with a story about some snowmobiles. And uh, I had a couple of people ask me during the week to finish the story, and uh, I'm not going to. You have to come up and talk to me in person. But just know that all of us made it off the mountain alive. Every soul was accounted for. Uh, we left a couple of snowmobiles, though, on the mountain. So I left that piece out, as well as the air pot. So we lightened our load, but we got home, it was dark. Uh, we had to strap Sterling literally on the back of one of them because he kept falling asleep and falling over and he was gonna fall off, so we had to actually tie him on. It was a really fun trip. So if you ever wanna go with us, you can. But I don't know that I'm ever gonna go again without maybe some folks like the Hartmans that know what they're doing. So uh, anyway, so that's a little wrap up from last week. But this week, we got, we, I have an amazing word here for you, and I'm very excited about it. But I will say that it's been a, a, quite an interesting week because the Lord was starting to work on this in my heart. But uh, as he was bringing it to me, sometimes it comes really clear, and sometimes it's a little hazy, a little foggy. So all week, Dwayne and I have been kind of tossing the sermon back and forth between each other. It's like, ah, you're going to do it. Mm, you're going to do it. Mm, you're going to do it. So we've been kind of going back and forth, and I will say that last night, during our communion, so this is a shout out to the communion group here at New Horizon, I really want to encourage you guys to, to log on, but during that communion, the Lord just absolutely brought clarity, and so you're getting the word that came into focus during communion last night, so it's kind of cool. Uh, as I move forward and as I move into this word, I just want to let you know from my soul and from my spirit that I'm going to be moving into this with a little bit of trepidation, a little bit of humility, because I'm going to be dealing with some things that, that aren't incredibly clear in the word. Some things the Lord has left as a little bit of a mystery. So I want to, I want to bring to you what I really feel that the Lord is saying out of these things. So just out of the, off the, you know, out of the shoot, out of the, you know, on the get-go here, I just want to uh, let you know that I walk very, very, I tread very carefully into this message here. And I just pray that it brings you uh, as much excitement as it does me. So uh, Jesus, he is the center of everything. And he is the most talked about, most sung about, most written about human being in the history of, of any human being. He is the center focus. And even today, he remains the most uttered name on the tongues of humanity across across the face of the planet, really. And uh, we were, so my mind, when I think of Jesus, I have a visual that I see. And I see him out of the Gospels. He is a, uh, a, a peasant, shall we say. He is a, a carpenter. He is, he walks, he's, he's got sandals on. He's got kind of that long, uh, you know, Arab kind of Middle Eastern dress and garb on and, and a lot of the pictures and stuff, they, they picture him with a, a beard, which is most likely. And, and I have a visual of him. And uh, my mom and I were starting to watch the, the video series, The Chosen. 
And uh, boy, that's good. I haven't finished it. We've only watched one or two sessions, but really good. But that's kind of my, my mindset. That's my, my visual that I have of Jesus. But I have, I have to admit to you that we're 2020 right now. And we're in the middle of stuff that I'm not used to. My mom keeps saying, this is weird. In all my 95 years, I have never experienced what I'm feeling right now. We're in a whole different zone right now. I need answers kind of now. God, I want to know really what's going on. I need to know what's going on in the heavenlies. I need to know what your word is for the now. I love the Gospels. I base my life and my, my character and, and all of my human response off of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. And I am happy to do it. But I also want to know what's going on right now. What's going on in the heavens right now? He's, my, there's desire heightened all across the face of the planet to know what is now. What is the word? He's got our attention. So I want to take a moment. I want to know what the current state of affairs is in the heavenlies. I want you to open your Bibles to Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. And I'm going to start at verse 12, and I'm going to read a little ways here. And this is John in the, on the island of Patmos in his, his confinement, and he has this vision. And I'm going to start at uh, verse 12, and this is what he saw, okay? I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance." When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So this verse, this is whole passage. I, you know, let me, let, let me go ahead and finish that. He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars of the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. I went a little farther than I was planning, but I, I wanted to finish that off. This is Jesus. Now that passage is amazing. And I remember when my kids were little, my boys especially, and they were kind of getting a little hum-ho about, about Jesus. You know, they'd heard about him for so long and heard all the stories and they're young and, and their favorite thing was the Power Rangers. I'm like, well, honeys, the Power Rangers have nothing on Jesus. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me read you something. Let me, let me give you a visual. And I read this passage to them and I will never forget it. Especially Caleb, he was like, Whoa, fiery eyes. And I made it really big. Fire in his eyes and this sword coming out of his mouth. It was fantastic. So a little sideline parenting tip. If your children are getting a little lackadaisical about who Jesus is, just read this passage. 
Uh, but it's a good one. Anyway, I want to take a minute, though, and kind of go through that. And there's quite a few little descriptors there of Jesus. There's two of them that I'm going to grab onto, and the rest of them I'm going to kind of touch on lightly. Every single one is worth a sermon. Let me just tell you that right now. So I had to exercise, and this is where clarity came in. I had to exercise so much self-control because I could be here for another two hours just waxing eloquent about every one of these areas. But let's just kind of go through them quickly. The first thing he says here is that he turned around and he saw the voice, uh, to see the voice that he was speaking to me, and he turned around and he saw seven golden lampstands. Those seven golden lampstands, as we read down at the end of this passage, represent the seven churches. Now, there were more churches than that in the area at this time. Churches were all over the place. The, the seven that they are referring to, though, uh, Jesus picked seven of them to, to bring forth uh, in this vision to John. Uh, they, that number seven represents completion. So even though he's talking about seven churches, it very could well be also, you know, there's many layers of meaning in the scripture, that that word seven means perfect or complete. So he's actually talking to all the churches. And not just those churches that were alive and well right then, but he's also speaking about all the churches that were to come. So you need to understand that this is written to us, absolutely to us, and it's a golden lampstand. That golden part, that piece of gold, gold is, represents purification and holiness. And the only way gold can come, become pure is through fire. The only way churches can become pure and holy for him is through the fires and trials and tribulations that they walk through. When the heat gets turned up, the, the, the church becomes purified and holy and the dross comes to the surface and it's so easily removed by a yielded church and we become gold. We become pure gold. We become what we need to be. And so church, I just, the, uh, New Horizon has a lampstand. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. New Horizon has a lampstand in the heavens, in the throne room of God where Jesus is walking. Every church has that lampstand and God is there and it is a pure, I, I have had the privilege of being in this church from its conception to now and walking through all of the purification of this church and it has been a glorious thing. It's been hard, I've cried and fussed my way through it at times, but I'm really glad because our church is something to behold. It's becoming glorious. It's becoming glorious. And Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. People of God, we can't fear the fires and the trials and the tribulations and the difficulties that we must walk through and in, in this world because it purifies us and then it glorifies us and then he can come. We're not finished yet. New Horizon is not done. Oh, no, are we perfect? No, no, no. But we are on our way, and I love this church. A little shame, shameless plug, shameful plug, I guess. So, lampstands. Someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. That is the description of a priestly outfit. That is a priest, that's priestly garb. And if you look it up in the Old Testament, you're going to find that there was... Very strict instructions as to how the priests were to dress. And uh, this is a description of it. And so this piece 
of what Jesus looks like right now, that represents his priesthood. And it was the priest's job to care for the lampstand. They were to tend the lampstands that were all in the, in the um, temple there. They were to trim the wicks. They were to fill it with oil so it would burn. They were to never let the fire go out. And that's what Jesus is doing even today, even now. This is the now word. Jesus is walking in the midst of every lampstand right now across the face of the planet. He is tending it. He is trimming the wick. He is filling it with oil. And the fire that is burning coming out of the lampstands, the churches across the face of the planet, that fire is going to ramp up. You watch. You watch and see. It's coming. There is a good thing happening now. The lampstands. Next, so he's, he, here he's in his priestly duties, and then we find out about his head. It reverts to his head. His head and his hair were white as wool. White as wool, his head and his hair. His head represents his authority. Head, headship. He is the head of the church. His head and his hair are white as wool. His head represents authority, the whiteness. White represents wisdom, omniscience, justice, and leadership. Now, this, is, this, um, this little passage here makes me kind of not want to have to dye my hair anymore. Maybe I should let it just go white so that my wisdom and my omniscience could, could shine forth. But, uh, you know, that's another day, another story. Uh, we'll, we'll, you know, watch. You'll see if, that, if I do let that happen. But Jesus here, he has, his hair is as white as wool. His hair and his head. This demonstrates how wise he is. He walks with wisdom, omniscience, justice. This is Jesus now. This is Jesus now. So next, white as wool, his eyes were like blazing fire. His eyes are like blazing fire. They say that your eyes are the window to your soul, your in, internal being, and his blaze with fire. Jesus, his, he's got an essence about him of fire. I want you to turn over to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 1. I'm kind of digging in there to those... Uh, those deep, darker passages here, but Ezekiel 1, anytime anybody says Ezekiel, I'm always like, oh, what's she going to, you know, what is it? Uh, Ezekiel 1, 25 through 27. There came a voice above the expanse, over their heads, as they stood and with lowered wings. Above the expanse, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above the throne was a figure of that man, that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire. And a brilliant light surrounded him. This is a description of the Son of Man again. This is a description of Jesus. So now what we're hearing is not only is the reason why his eyes are glowing like fire because his internal being is fire. He is made of fire. Now keep in mind, people, we think we know what fire is. But you have to remember that everything on this created earth is only a mere shadow and a mere reflection of reality. And that reality is in the spirit realm. 
So the fire that we know of, of its heat and of its power and of its uh, consuming ability, what we know of, take that into the supernatural realm. That's Jesus. That's Jesus now. That is how he is. That is his inner core, fire. An all-consuming fire, a fire. I'm going to take just a quick look. This is one of them that I'm going to kind of focus on, the fire that Jesus is. It's his being. It's, it's how he's made. And I want to bring you to an Old Testament story in Daniel. And I'm not necessarily going to read it, so you're not going to see the scriptures up there. I'm just going to kind of call them out as we go. But Daniel is such an amazing book. And the first two chapters is about Daniel. Daniel getting carted off to, to Babylon at the fall of Israel and, and of Judah and all of that. Now, you know, the, the nation as once was is no longer. They've been taken into captivity by Babylon by the king Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel, the first two chapters, you're going to hear all about him. He has, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that we talked about last week where uh, it, it really confused him. And he told all of his astronomers and all of his wise men, including uh, just everybody, that uh, he needs to know the, the meaning of his dream. And he's not going to tell you what the dream is. You have to know what the dream is. And so they're on, and on fear of death. The next day they were all going to die. So Daniel goes home, he prays, and he gets the word of the Lord. And that is the scripture that we've been talking about so much, about how great is God and how he sets the kings. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them, and he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He gave Daniel the dream and the meaning. And the dream, if you read a little bit farther on, is about a statue. And that statue had a golden head, and that golden head was Nebuchadnezzar. So when he, and then he, you know, all the rest of the stuff, he marches in the next day, tells Nebuchadnezzar his dream and the meaning of it. So, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar's blown away and you're right and wow, and nobody dies, no heads roll. But then when you turn to chapter three, you find the very first uh, verse there saying that King Nebuchadnezzar built an image of gold of himself. So, the a kingdom made an image of gold 90 feet high and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the providence of Babylon. So here is Nebuchadnezzar. He hears his dream, and then he sets up a golden image to himself. Instead of getting the message of what the whole dream was, all he heard was, wow, am I cool. I am going to set up a golden image of myself 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. And when the, the players play, everyone must bow down and worship me. So do you think this went over well with the Lord? No. So what happened was, is all the people there, especially Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would not bow down and worship. They would not do it. And uh, uh, they get turned in. And just to save time here, they are brought before Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, what's the deal? And they say, uh, uh, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods, nor worship the images of gold that you have set 
get up. It seems to me that they knew the song that we were just singing, that he is, God is good, good all the time. It don't matter if I get thrown into the lake of fire, into a furnace of fire. It doesn't matter because no matter what, God's going to get me through that fire. No matter what. And so it goes on. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious. And if you look back to uh, verse 13, when, there, when he first found out, Nebuchadnezzar first found out about these guys, it says he was furious with rage. There's something about the spirit of this age. When there is a division between the people of God and asking the people of God to bow down to the spirit of the age, and if we say no, we will worship our Father, it invokes a spirit of rage and anger and furiousness in the spirit of this age. And it happened here. So he is, he is furious with these guys, and so he grabs these three young men, and he, he, de, he declares, turn up the, the, the fire seven times. Now, there has been a, an area excavated in Babylon, and it's a huge building, and it's very uniquely built, and there's an inscription on it that says, here we, here, uh, mm, let me get it right. Yeah, where is it? Okay, I'll just, oh, this is where those that blaspheme the gods of Chaldee died. And it is a, it's a very apparent, there's fire and there's, there's all, it, it is a place. Whether it's the place these kids were taken to, I don't know. But it is documented that if anyone does not follow the gods of Babylon, they were thrown into fire. So here's this furnace, fiery furnace, seven times the heat. And when they go there, the, the, the guards that are ca carrying them there, they fall down dead because the heat, they couldn't handle the heat. They're dead. These three young men are thrown into the fire. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's four men in the fire. Nebuchadnezzar is able to see that there are four in the fire. A lot of the word, uh, anyway, four in the fire. I'm, I'm not going to get sidetracked. I have more stories to tell you than, than you can imagine. Four in the fire. And he's like, wait, didn't we just uh, throw in three? And then because uh, he approaches the opening of the fire, he first come out, come out. Uh, Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and all of them were standing around. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, was, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. But if you read a little bit earlier, the only thing that burned were the bonds that held them. The bonds that held them were consumed in that fire. Who was the fourth man in that fire? It was Jesus. And Jesus was able to go into that fire because he is fire. Jesus is fire. Jesus is a fire. He could not be consumed because he is fire. And you have Jesus inside of you. After Jesus rose again, there was the day of Pentecost, and the day of Pentecost was when fire came down onto the individual believer. You walk with fire inside of you. Therefore, the fire of testing cannot consume you. It will not consume you. The only thing it is meant to do is to burn the bonds that hold you. Fire. Jesus is fire. He is fire today. He is fire. There was a day when he walked in human flesh, but he was not just a human. He was fully God and fully man at the time. And he remains fully God. 
fire. Fire. Fire inside of you, people. Fire inside of you. His eyes were like a blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. In other words, there's fire throughout him. Bronze indicates and, and uh, uh, is, uh, suggests humanity, his humanness. So in this picture, in Revelation, though he fi this fire is burning inside of him and it's a consuming fire. And it's a fire that consumes fire. He is still being described with humanness about him. He hasn't forgotten what it's like to be here on this planet. Bronze represents humanity. And he carries it with it, but it's a pure humanity. It's a humanity that is as if it is in a furnace. It is a humanity that has been purified. It is a humanity that never once sinned. That is our Jesus. That is who we pray to. And his voice was like the sound of rushing water. His voice is like the sound of the rushing water. His voice is like the sound of a rushing water. Why rushing water? I could think of a lot of other ways that would be really amazing to, to describe Jesus' voice. A rushing water. This rushing water thing, you're going to find it if you look it up. It is throughout the Bible. It's found all over the place when it's describing the voice of God. A rushing water. Oh, okay, I've, I've heard rushing water before. It's just like, you know. Is that the voice of God? What is this? And this is where I began to dig, and this is where I hope to bring to you something that I have found to be incredible. You have to look back always at the place of first mention of anything. So you always search, okay, voice, voice, voice. Where's the voice first mentioned? Where is speak, where is, where's the voice first? And you all, you and I both know, Genesis 1. And God spoke all things into existence. His voice reverberated and brought forth everything, including you and I. We are a product of the voice command of God. And the Bible says in Proverbs that wisdom was at his side when he commanded, and that wisdom built what, what faith saw. He saw this. He saw you. He saw this place. He saw creation in faith, and wisdom came alongside, and wisdom and, and its friend understanding, and, and they worked together, and they made everything out of the voice of God. The voice of God. And then true to form, making us in his image, he gave us a voice. You have a voice. I have a voice. I'm using my voice right now. You have a voice. And even your voice is miraculous. You, if you look it up, they say that there's no two fingerprints in the world. They say that there's no two snowflakes in the world. But they also say that there's no two voices alike. 
Every voice is different. Every voice has its own timber. Every voice has its own pitch. Every voice has its own sound and its own feeling such that if you were in, when your baby is in your womb and I got two of them coming, not me personally, but I got two daughters uh, with babies coming, that baby will come out and will know its mother's voice. It will turn to it. It will respond to it. Those little guys are going to come out knowing mama's voice. Because mama's voice is, there's only one. There's only one. And I know that when we would be in a huge crowd and, and, and my kids would be acting up, all I'd have to say is, Caleb, he heard me. He would hear me. Maybe he was doing something good, too. Because I used to call his name when he was good, too. But not always naughty. Caleb, you're a good kid. I love you dearly. But your voice, first mention, God spoke, created everything. We have been made in his image. We have a voice. There's no two voices alike. It you can identify others by their voice. You can, I can uh, blindfold myself and have different ones of you come in, and I will know who you are just because of your voice. I can't see you. I can't touch you, but I'll know because of your voice. Uh, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said, my sheep know my voice, and they will follow me. In other words, there's lots of voices but we know his, we know his voice. And what is his voice? His voice is rushing waters. So there's many different timbers, many different pitches, many different messages being said by voices. And if we use our voice and our words In the way that God created us to, the Bible says that there's power of life and death in our voice, on our tongues. That we are not to use our voice for un, that no unholy thing is to come out of our mouth. That no idle words are should be spoken with our voice. Because I am telling you right now, your voice carries faith in it. It carries something. This rushing waters can be interpreted in a couple of different ways. And in different places in the, in, the, in the Bible, it talks about rushing waters. But when it's speaking of coming out of the voice of God, it means one thing. I want you to turn over very quickly to Daniel 10, verse 6. And I'm, we're going to get a little bit of clarity here. Daniel 10, verse 6. Uh, here's another opportunity where um, verse 5 says, and I know that's not on the screens, but I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen and a belt of the finest gold around his waist. Sounds a lot like Revelation. His body was like chrysolite. His face was like lightning. His eyes were flaming torches. His arms and legs liked the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. Waters, quite often, represents humanity. Humanity. Waters. Humanity. The waters cover the earth. Humanity covers the earth. And I've, I spent a lot of time this week, in, week thinking, humanity, waters, your voice, rushing waters. Are you saying that somehow I, as a human being, somehow finds my way into your voice that you are speaking 
that my voice has a place in the heavens, that my voice has a purpose in the future, that my voice you have welcomed, my voice into heaven, that you've welcomed my voice into yours? How could it be? It's got to be blasphemy. It can't be true. And I spent this week trying to find this out, and I don't want to say anything that's, that's not biblical, but people of God, I've found throughout the week, I think it is. Ezekiel says, his voice is the sound of multitudes, people, humans. How could this be? How could this be? The unthinkable God of love wants to draw us into his business, into the business of this kingdom, into the business of righteousness, into the business of the future. Who are those multitudes and what are they saying? I got to know. I want to be one of them and I want to be speaking. Who are they? They are the ones. They are the ones that have aligned themselves with him. Years ago, Dwayne had a sermon and it still reverberates inside of me. For years, I was a Christian. I was a godly little girl. I didn't do anything wrong. But I didn't understand, I didn't understand my place. And I didn't understand the power of my mouth. And as you know, listening to me, I got a lot of words. And I like to talk. And I love to talk in front of people. And I would talk all sorts of things. And Dwayne was so good at teaching me, though I was not so good at learning power of my words. And one Sunday he said, listen, you don't have to say your own words. Just say what Jesus is saying. If you don't know what to say, then say what Jesus is saying. I'm like, bingo. I can do that. Sometimes. Because other times I want to say my things. But it's truth. So who are these multitudes? They are the ones that have yielded their hearts and their souls and their minds and their future and their thoughts and their world and everything to the master Jesus Christ. They are the ones that have said yes and amen to who he is. And what are they saying? They're saying his words. They are saying his words. There's a cacophony of noise, of voices all around us, all of them saying different things. We're all going to die. We're all going to live. It's all bad. It's all good. It's blah, 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 blah. Thousands and hundreds of voices are being set, spoken, but Jesus has a voice and he says, my sheep know my voice and they follow me and now I am crying out to the church I'm crying out to every lampstand across the face of the planet to begin to come out of the cacophony the noise of all of them and hear the voice of Jesus right now and begin to tune into him 
just like a symphony starts off at the very beginning when they're all getting out their instruments you know they're all warming up you hear this cacophony of noise but as soon as the conductor steps up to the podium and he knocks on it everybody goes and they tune into one and the cacophony turns into a symphony, a symphony where many, many players are playing their piece of the music. And I will say right now, every voice has its own timber, its own pitch. But when we bring all of us together saying the same thing, praying, believing, pressing in, Father God, you want, you are the Lord of the harvest, send the laborers, Father God, come down in fire. Father God, we're believing for the billion soul harvest. Father God, I come against the power of darkness. All of a sudden we're coming into that unity, that symphony, and we are becoming the great multitude, the voice, the sound of rushing waters coming out of him. And I will tell you that Every huge cataract of water starts with a single little tiny stream, a little trickle out there, out there, out there, out there. And then little, little trickles, little trickles come together and they find each other and then they join together. And that trickle and that trickle come together and now we've got more and now we got more and now we got more. And I'm telling you, God is gathering every voice that will unite itself and it's going, it's coming together, it's flowing into a mighty rushing water. And I will tell you what, when you stand at the base of Niagara's Falls, you can't hear anything but the rush of that water. You can't hear anything else. It becomes a force to reckon with. Jesus right now is gathering many waters. He is gathering many waters and his voice is taking on new strength. Daniel 7.25, we read last week that Satan is one that will try to change the seasons and the times. He will try to set things in his way, in his voice and in his desires. He will try, but the courts will be seated. And Jesus will open his mouth and what will flow out of him is you and me and everyone across the face of the planet. I'm telling you right now, this is a, there's a great gathering of prayer at this moment that you have, we have, I don't think I've ever seen or heard. Yes, mom, these are challenging times. They're unique times. I've never seen them before. I've never seen so much prayer. I've never seen, so this is a time of great isolation, yet there is greater prayer. There's a thing out there called Unite 714. There's churches all around the world that are tuning into that. And every day, 714 a.m. and p.m., wherever they're at, they're praying these united prayers. If you want to get involved in that, get involved in that. Unite 714. There's worldprayertogether.com. That's Lou Ingalls' group. Last summer, 150,000 kids and people came together in Brazil Three packed out stadiums came together over a, a, a like two day thing. They prayed, they worshiped, and all 40,000 of them committed to pray and fast for 40 days for this time. They were doing it all through February and March. 
Now they're committed to praying together. And it's called World Prayer Together. You can go on.com. The way I understand it is that you tune in and there's live stream prayers going on 24-7 from churches all around the world. There is a gathering. There is a gathering of rushing waters. And there's a uniting of the speaking and the speech and the prayer with Jesus in heaven, the burning one. If you are in a fire right now, if you feel like you're in the fire, people of God, you are made for this. Jesus was made for the fire. He was made to walk into the midst of fire because he is fire and consume it. And you have him in you and you were made for fire. The only thing that will be consumed in this fire are the things that need to be consumed, those things that bind you, those things that hold you back. Fear, get off of you in Jesus' name. Break it off of you, fear, go. Fear, distraction, disillusionment, unforgiveness, everything that is inside of you, God is purifying you and he is in you and he will consume all this fire. It's time to take your voice. Take back your voice. Join us in prayer. Join the torrent. Don't find yourself distracted, unengaged, scared to death, hiding. I pray right now you will come out of hiding, oh mighty church, come out of hiding. You might be in your own homes right now, but I am asking you, if you were here in this body, if we were all together, I'd say let's stand and we would hear one another, but I am saying stand wherever you're at. Stand in your room, stand, 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 take a stand right now. You are a small little trickle out in the out, outer reaches of the world, but your little prayer is joining with the others and it's coming together in a torrent out of the mouth of Jesus. Raise the force, raise the decibels, raise the def decibels, feel good, feel good about what you're doing. Even as you stand alone in every single one of your houses, join in faith that the torrent is greater than ever before. We're going to take part in communion. I will never look at this bread that represents the body of Christ the same again. For though it was broken on the cross, maimed and mangled to an unrecognizable mess of pain and suffering for me. It is also the representation of a man, of fire, of a God, of a consuming fire. And I take that into me and the fire inside of me will consume everything. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord God, I just, I lift up the body of Christ to you in Jesus' name. I lift it up to you. And I declare right now, the body of Christ broken for me. I will bring it and take it into me. And as I take it into me, I am no longer mine, but I am yours. Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
lifted up. Representing the blood of Jesus spilled on that cross. And Lord God, right now, 2,000 years ago, a man in a man's, God in a man's body gave his blood up for me so that I might become a partaker of his divine holiness. Amazing beyond amazing that he would choose to include his creation in his future. Let's take the blood. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Father God, in Jesus' name, make my tongue holy. Make my mouth holy. Write on the tablets of my heart and of my mind what you're saying that I might join in. I don't want to be dissonant. I don't want to be out of tune. Forgive me for unholy things that have come out of my mouth. Father God, align me with you. Align me with you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Let's sing this song. Just let the Holy Spirit just fill you for God is good. He writes on us. He shapes us. He purifies us. And we join. We join in. We join.